Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to the Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, just when we thought 2020 could get any worse, obviously we got some absolutely devastating news uh, just recently. Look, look, the country's on a knife edge as it is. Um, there's already so much polarization, um, but this is quite possibly the thing that could put us all over the edge. Uh, I am, of course, talking about the horrible, horrible news that Floyd Mayweather Jr. may fight an exhibition against Logan Paul. Um, already, uh, social media is reflecting the divisions um, between the non-brain dead who are basically throwing up at the prospect and the super, super, super casuals who actually believe there is a chance that Logan Paul might land a punch and leave the ring vertically. Um, uh, whether anything comes of it, we'll see. But, you know, given the talk about a Mike Tyson, Roy Jones exhibition, it would be absolutely in keeping with Floyd that he decided he couldn't handle two other Hall of Famers getting the attention and that he would want to do the one thing that, for at least some constituencies, would be even bigger. Um, but seriously... God help us all. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, this is to an extent news to me. I didn't realize that it was Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul that they were talking about. I saw Mayweather versus Paul rumors. I thought it was Jeff Mayweather versus Paul Anka. And I was intrigued. Uh, but this, nah. Anka is underrated. <laughs> he really is. To admit it, yeah. you would probably be more willing to watch Jeff Mayweather versus Paul Anka than uh, Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul, right? There'd be a particular kind of masochistic interest there, yes. And I like Jeff Mayweather. I'd like to see him make a little money. If that can sell, I, I say go he for is it. He's a nice Mayweather, as yes, they say. As and they say. I have no particular beef with Paul Anker. He was a <laughs> fine crooner in his day, but... I looked yeah. it up, by the way. Uh, he is still alive, so there's nothing. There's nothing tasteless about this conversation. Well, there it might oh, be tasteless is. that we're putting a 79-year-old uh, non-boxer in the ring, but uh, relatively not too tasteless. Is it that much more tasteless than than what he's actually been? <laughs> no, it's pretty I'm close. Sure. Oh dear. Uh, anyway, um, it's an actual real fight week. Uh, a, a big fight week. Huge, even. Uh, the Showtime Boxing Podcast is here for you every step of the way. Uh, we will have a podcast on Tuesday previewing the first half of the giant six-fight pay-per-view card. Uh, that's the half that's headlined by Jermal Charlo against Sergei Derevyanchenko. Uh, on Wednesday, we will preview the second half of the card, headlined by Jermal Charlo versus Jason Rosario. And we'll be back again late in the day. Friday after the weigh-in to make our official predictions and give some final pre-fight thoughts. Um, but we start today's podcast with everything else happening in the sport of boxing that isn't part of Saturday's pay-per-view. Uh, we will discuss all the news, we'll preview a few other fights, and shortly we'll be joined by Showtime analyst and former world champion Raul Marquez. The first of three times Raul will be lending his insights on the podcast this week uh, as he gives his thoughts on this past Saturday's Showtime fights at Mohegan Sun, headlined by Erickson Lubin's points win over Terrell Gaucher. Uh, but before we get to Raul, uh, let's give our own analyses of those fights, shall we? Sure, uh, why not? Uh, although this might be a little different from our usual post-fight conversations in that I presume we're both more interested in drilling down on the two undercard bouts than on the main event. Uh, still, let's start with that main event uh, of this card in the bubble at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. At 154 pounds, a title eliminator to determine a mandatory to the winner of next week's Charlo Rosario pay-per-view headliner. 
Erickson Lubin ran his comeback winning streak to five by outpointing Terrell Gachet in a fight that, well, it got better over the last five rounds, but it was still a tough 12 rounds to get through as a viewer. Gachet fought with no urgency, and Lubin comfortably outboxed and outworked him and won by scores of 118-110 from Tom Schreck, pretty close to my score of 119-109, 116-112 from John McKay, and what I found an unfathomable 115-113 from Don Ackerman. Uh, Gachet made Lubin's legs wobble with a right hand to the temple in round 10. Uh, The southpaw Lubin hurt Gachet with a huge right hook in the 12th round. And those were just about the only moments of drama. Lubin moves to 23-1, 16 KOs. He boxed well and won convincingly. Does his stock go up, Kieran? Or was this fight enough of a chore to watch that just getting the W wasn't enough for him on this night? I think the latter. Um, And it's funny, you know, that we had this very conversation last week. You know, does he need a signature win at this point to, you know, erase the stigma and imagery of that that first round TKO who lost against Jamel Charlo? And we both figured that, yes, he did. Um, At some point needs that signature win. I think we both figured that probably Saturday night because of the nature of Gaucher, that might not be that signature win. Right. But I'm not sure that either of us thought it would be as awful as it was. Uh, We were, you know, texting each other during the course of the evening, trying to buck each other up and keep each other awake because <laughs> the broadcast began past our bedtimes. But right. um, And I texted Eric after the first round with, uh, oh, God, this fight's going to suck, isn't yep. it? Uh, and, and it's settled into that pattern very, very swiftly. Sometimes that can happen eh? when two fighters just come out and neither of them is, is, is pushing it, and it just settles into that terrible pace. Um Gosh, I just don't think this helps Lubin at all on Saturday night. I, I, I mean, I guess the best thing that can happen for Lubin right now is that Charlo Rosario next week turns into a dud too. Because um, whoever wins that fight does so in at all an eye-catching or exciting way. This performance is going to look even worse. Um, I, I guess I came up with three things for Lubin to be somewhat positive about here. Okay. Um, he won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and related to that, he's only the second person to go to beat Gaucher, and he arguably beat him more comfortably than 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 Arislander Lara did. Um, a lot of the reason for the dullness was down to Gaucher. He's going to yes. get a lot of the blame for this. Yep. Um, and well, the timing works out pretty well for Lubin because he remains the most viable opponent just by virtue of for for a Charlo just by virtue of the fact that he's it's now what six wins in a row now uh for him i think uh, i think five five um tony harrison has already won and lost against charlo j-rock williams lost his last fight to rosario jared Hurd lost to j-rock yeah. uh, i don't know that there's necessarily much more clamor to see eris landy lara uh in there because as we've discussed he can sometimes be fun these days but can also as he showed us again recently be quite dull um so by default He's there, and he's in the reckoning. Uh, he's better than he showed, I think, on Saturday night. He's more exciting than he showed on Saturday night. They say it takes two to tango. Um, he was up against somebody who bafflingly didn't show much interest in making a fight of it. He wasn't able to turn it into a fight. He got through it. He got the win. It didn't really help his stock. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, it, like, if the entire fight had looked like rounds eight through 12, Mm. we would have been like, okay, decent fight, solid fight. But those first seven rounds were so dull. 
to the point that I would assume some viewers turned it off before it got to be sort of decent and solid. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly can't say Lubin's stock went up. If it went in any direction, weird as it is, after I give you 11 of 12 rounds against a world-class opponent, right. I think it went down. Uh, the The excitement around seeing Lubin's next fight is diminished. You know, not, not erased entirely, nothing like that, but diminished. And look, after a fighter gets knocked out, especially a devastating one-round knockout loss like he suffered, you have to change some things up, change the approach. And Kevin Cunningham has done that with Lubin. And one thing that was changed is it seems he's not overcommitting to his punches as much mm. anymore and not opening himself up as much now. And there's a trade-off there. You know, you, you have a lower chance of getting hit. Uh, you also make less entertaining fights against certain styles. Terrell Cachet definitely qualifies as certain styles. Uh, so, you know, Lubin looked like the Lubin that we like in spots starting in round eight. You know, some three-punch combinations, mm -hmm. mixing in some uppercuts, that good finish in the 12th. Man, would it have changed the narrative if he dropped and stopped Cachet there yeah. instead of just wobbling him. But he didn't. So, uh, yeah, we come away with a not great taste in our mouths on Lubin. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, but as you said, you have to give a lot of the blame for that to Gachet. Gachet is 33 years old. He's now 1-2-1 and one in his last four. We talked last week about how badly he needed this, and yet he produced a completely uninspired effort. I couldn't help but wonder what he was waiting for. Yeah. I know Lubin had faster hands and has good power, and you have to be careful against him, but Gachet was way too careful in my view. Is it safe to assume, Kieran, that we won't be seeing him getting another opportunity this big again anytime soon? Yes. And I, I, I think you and I are both always very cautious about overreacting in the immediate aftermath of one fight. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, he has immediately relegated himself, I think, to gatekeeper status. And, and that's entirely his own fault. Um, like you said, you know, he, he had to have known what was at stake for him here. And like you said, he failed to show any sense of urgency, except for when he appeared to completely surprise himself <laughs> yeah. um, uh, by, by wobbling Lubin in the 10th. Yeah. Um, there's very little incentive for anyone to want to fight Gaucher. Um, you know, if there's one thing that boxers dislike almost as much as losing or, or being knocked out or it's being made to look bad in the ring. Um, Gaucher, if you're looking at this, you think, why do I want to fight Gaucher? Even if I win... We just said that we thought that Erickson Lubin won at worst 10 rounds out of 12, which I think I had it, you had it 11, right. and we're slating Lubin for the way the fight looked. So why are you possibly going to want to get in the ring with Terrell Gachet if you think, well, God, I might beat him. I think I can win every round against him, but no one's going to give me my props for it, and it's not going to advance my situation. Um, so I, I don't know what happens for him from here what broadcaster is now going to want to put Darrell Gaucher on right. um if you think you're going to run the risk of having 
you're not going to want to put him on as a main event. And if you put him on as a co-mainer, you know, like you were alluding to, your viewers might turn off before you get to your main event. Um, what promoter is going to want to test their up-and-coming prospect or contender up against him because you want your prospect or contender to win and to also be tested? But the point is to make him look good so that people want to see more of your prospect or contender. So add to which there's still the risk that Gaucher is going to beat you anyway, right. because he's still actually, when he turns it on a bit or gets a little bit inspired, pretty good. Yeah. He just didn't show it against Lubin. So uh, this was a really bad night for Terrell Gaucher. It, it, it really was. Uh, not only in terms that he lost and that at age 33 in a packed 154-pound division, he you now goes right to the back of the class, but that the way in which he, he fought... Um, it just does not create an incentive for anybody to want to fight him at all. This was a bad night for him. And I suspect that reality is is, is sort of settling on him uh, on Sunday and Monday. Yeah, well said. Um, so where does Lubin go from here? Uh, as was talked about uh, during the broadcast, he is the Charlo Rosario winner's mandatory. Um, but especially if it's Charlo... Can you sell that rematch with Lubin coming off a, a dull win like this? It, it, it's not easy. Uh, it's uh, never easy selling a rematch to a KO one, uh, you know, unless that KO was a, a huge upset in the first place or something like that. But if the guy who got KO'd comes back and looks spectacular and right. makes you think that result might have been a fluke, a rematch is a little easier to package. Um, it's tough, though, coming right off a win this ho-hum. We'll have more to say about Charlo later in the week, but suffice to say, he might have some other options. Uh, if Charlo beats Rosario, Charlo Lubin 2 is definitely not a step up to something bigger for him from Rosario. Right. Maybe he's okay with a lateral-ish step right after beating Rosario. Maybe not. Uh, we'll see like how soon... They decide to enforce this mandatory, whether someone manufactures some BS interim belt to stall it, something like that, because it, it just can't be Charlo's top choice if he beats Rosario. And if Rosario wins, a Charlo rematch probably makes more sense for him than a Lubin fight as his first uh, defense of those unified belts right. he'll have. Um, so, you know, I, I the more I think about, though, all of that, the, those factors that probably don't give Lubin the first crack at the winner, that could open the door for Lubin to maybe get in another fight and win more spectacularly against mm. somebody else. And that could reignite interest in him challenging someone at the top of the 154-pound division. But right at this moment, that interest isn't that strong. Yeah. So we each got the maximum three points in our picks competition for that one, both of us picking Lubin by unanimous decision. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. The swing fight on this card, in terms of points between the two of us, was the co-feature. Uh, Tug Nyambayar versus Kobe Abridi in a featherweight 12-rounder. You predicted Tug by stoppage in the sixth. I predicted Tug by unanimous decision, and in far and away the most competitive fight on the card with the most momentum swings, Breedy got off the deck in round one, got off the deck again in round two, and battled back to last the distance, but it was Nyambayar who won a split decision. I gave Breedy rounds three, four, five, and 11. I had it 116, 110. 
I could see 115-11 or maybe 114-112. Hard for me to see Breedy doing any better than that. Mm. Glenn Feldman's 114-112 score, that was fine. Steve Weisfeld's 114-113 was a bit odd because it must have included either a 10-10 round or one of the knockdown rounds only got a 10-9, but close enough. Don Trella had the fight 115-111 for Breedy. That mm. means he gave King Tug the first two rounds, 10-8, and then only gave him one more round the entire rest of the fight. These crazy bubble scorecards continue, <laughs> and, uh, and Trella screwed me out of a bonus point here. Uh, Nyambayar is now 12-1. and Breedy steps up and gets his first loss, falling to 15-1. and Kieran, how did you score it? What did you think of Nyambayar's performance in victory and Breedy's in defeat? Uh, I had it 15-11. Uh, okay. I gave Breedy just one more of that, that stretch there that Nyambayar put together uh, in the second half of the, the fight. That was one round, I think, that I, that I squeaked to him because of a lack of, a lack of activity by Nyambayar. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm... In terms of the scoring, if I get it right, I think both Trella, well, everything about his scorecard was weird. But uh, I think also uh, Al or, or Steve Farr had mentioned that, that Steve Weisfeld gave Breedy the 12th, which I, I think was a clear King Tug round. Yeah. I, I, I was surprised about that one, actually. Um, I didn't enjoy Nyambeo's performance after the first couple of rounds. Uh, and again, echoing somewhat our, our first fight uh, our main event rather it may seem churlish to criticize him on the back of scoring that win um his punches were more accurate and straighter and harder um and he was by any non-trella measure the winner of the fight um but it was an awfully somnambulistic performance at times I, I, there's there's one thing being fighting within yourself knowing that you're doing enough to win the rounds scoring the more accurate punches against a busier, flashier fighter. There's another one looking, there's another thing entirely to look completely disinterested during rounds, which at times I am did. It was just, it was just really weird. You know, the, the note that I made for myself, you know, like the biggest criticism Nyambiar ended up fighting Kobia Breedy's fight. Kobia Breedy made the fight the way he wanted it. He wasn't good enough to win that fight, Kobia Breedy. Um, Nyambiar beat Breedy at his own fight. But Breedy was the one who was, who was setting the parameters of, of, the, of the fight. And I think if you're going to position yourself as a leader in your division, particularly coming off the back of a loss in your first world title tilt, you kind of need to lay down a marker, I think. Um, and say, hey, look, okay, I lost to Gary Russell Jr., big whoop. Virtually everybody loses to Gary Russell Jr., but I'm still a really good featherweight. Look at me, look at what I can do. Um, he came off out of that loss to, to Russell with some credibility because he didn't completely roll over, and, and Russell does you know, beat you know, just about everybody. Um, but while he didn't squander that credibility, I, he said he didn't enhance it. You know, when he scored that first round knockdown, it looked like the fight was going to go exactly as I thought it would, except faster. You know, I right. said when I said that I thought he would score that knockout, that what would happen was that Breedy was going to come forward, face, kind of face first, a little bit squared up, and walk into a straight right-hand counter. Right. That's what I thought would happen in the sixth round, and I thought that Breedy would stay down. That's what happened in the first round. And maybe if it had been earlier in that round, it might have been definitive. I, I don't know. But then after that, Breedy struggled to find his range he was in exactly the wrong spot for a couple of rounds but then i thought he found his range quite well and he made it a bit difficult for nyan bayar to 
to, to really land effective punches. Um, he frustrated them with his movement. I mean, yeah, his offense was poor. He, he fell into it. He would throw those combinations, Breedy, anybody fall into Nyambia while throwing them and not very many of them landed cleanly, although some of them certainly did. Um, you know, they were a bit slapping, but he was trying to make the fight. He was the one who seemed to, to be doing better at adapting. Uh, I was disappointed in King Tug's inability to cut off the ring, especially yep. when Breedy became one-eyed. Um, you know, so Breedy's the one who actually probably comes out of this better, even with the loss in that there are some obvious opportunities for him. There's an obvious place for him in the division. He's the obvious uh, uh, sort of test mm -hmm. at this point. How, how can you do against Kabir Breedy? He's going to make he's he's going to be an entertaining fight. Broadcasters will probably want him on. He'd be a good guy to have on Showbox. King Tug, he won the fight, but I it was weird. Um, I uh, it was it was uninspiring. And you know the thing is. As his corner was trying to impress upon him, don't assume you're winning this fight. There's a good chance there's at least one judge who's watching some other TV show, and maybe there are two right. who are doing that. And then you're in big trouble. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. We Nyambayar can be better, and uh, and I expect it to see better. But maybe you know, maybe Breedy's just that kind of guy who's very hard to fight. Uh, maybe Nyambiar just on the basis of, on the back of losing to Gary Russell. Maybe Nyambiar just doesn't do well with guys who move. And uh, maybe no. that's just his kryptonite. Yeah, I mean, that certainly could be part of it. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of the same feelings on both fighters as you did. I am so impressed by the way that miniature Tim Bradley fought back in this fight. <laughs> had to go back to that one because uh, now everyone's gotten a chance to see him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I messaged you uh, early on uh, in this fight. You were talking about some of the messages we were trading. In this one, I messaged you messaged you to let you know after those couple of early knockdowns, I was happy to concede the picks points in exchange uh, for uh, not too late a night uh, in order to let you have the early KO there. Uh, but then once Breedy really got his comeback going, my mindset shifted, uh, and I was pulling for him to last the distance, both for my points and just because he was putting up such a gutsy effort that uh, I really wanted to see him go the full 12. He never stopped coming in this fight, not when his left eye swelled up, not when it started to seem, at least to me, like he was too far behind on points to catch up. Um, I'll be more than happy to watch Breedy fight again. He showed a lot of heart and determination and plenty of skill, too, uh, in this fight. But yeah, King Tug, there were some weaknesses that, that really jumped out as this fight went along. You mentioned that he isn't very good at cutting off the ring. He doesn't jab enough. He, he was looking mm -hmm. for that one big right hand for much of the fight. He wasn't working to set it up. He really can't do much offensively unless he's marching straight forward. That said, he won the fight, undoubtedly. Uh, maybe it was close, but to actually score more than half the rounds for Breedy... I feel like you had to be scoring the feet, you know, who's moving forward and not the hands. Tre Trella's score, that was all activity and coming forward. Yeah. That score ignored who was actually punching effectively. Yeah, yeah agreed. Um, the opening bout of the card was the one that went almost exactly according to script, or at least according to our script. Uh, <laughs> we both predicted undefeated welterweight prospect uh, Jerome Boots Ennis would become the first to stop veteran Juan Carlos Abreu. We both foresaw a knockout in round eight, but Boots did us two better with a dominant sixth round KO. Uh, he dropped Abreu late in round five with a right uppercut, dropped him again early in the sixth with a right hand to the temple, uh, followed by quickly knocking him into the ropes and then down again. 
and ref Johnny Callis waved it off without a count at the 1 minute 06 mark. I was briefly worried that we were both going to drop a point uh, when Abreu seemed to be on his way to a DQ loss uh, <laughs> at the end of the fifth. Um, but uh, it's one, one, one advantage of uh, not having crowds there is you can actually hear the epithets that the fighters are screaming at each other when they're right. really mad. Um, but otherwise, though, Boots was in complete control. Too fast, too busy, too accurate, too strong. Uh, that uppercut with which he dropped to Breo in the fifth was a thing of absolute beauty. Not yeah. an easy punch to land well an uppercut, and especially, but it was so short and sweet. It was beautiful, uh, and it was really effectively all over after that. Uh, as it obviously rattled Abreu, you know, literally and physically, but it also just clearly took his mind off it. He, he couldn't get back into the game after that, and, and he also has never seemingly quite got his legs back. Um, Eric, what did you think of Ennis? Is it fair to say he lived up to our hype? Did he even live up to Breadman's hype? Yeah, I, I, I think he pretty much did. Now, Breadman warned we can't be sure until he gets hit by a big puncher. So, so there is still that question. But I saw everything else I was looking to see here. The first two rounds were easy work for Ennis. He was just way too fast and skilled. And then Abreu tried to make it rough. And Boots mostly handled that well. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that huge right uppercut in round five and just how spectacular that was. The power is clearly there. The finishing ability is there. Abreu had never been stopped before, and Ennis did it in just six rounds. Really impressive. My only real complaint is I can do without the tennis grunting, uh, which <laughs> which is definitely harder to ignore with these empty arena fights. Uh, Boots, Boots is just a little loud verbally while punching for my liking. Uh, but yeah, no doubt, the ceiling that Breadman sees for this kid, it is very much in play at this point in his career, with a lot, admittedly, still to prove. He does have all the characteristics of a future pound-for-pounder, and he appears to have Hall of Fame-level talent. I'm not saying he'll have a Hall of Fame career, Right. But the talent is there to be a real force for a long time. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Um, I got a tweet after the fight from Malik Span. He asked, any ideas who could be next? Would you be into Boots versus Broner? Boots versus Lipinets? Boots versus Ortiz, and I'm guessing he means Virgil Ortiz. Uh, Boots versus Ugas. Uh, so th that's what he tweeted at me. What do you think, Kieran? Do any of those seem right to you for a next step for Boots Ennis? So it's tough because he's almost put himself in a similar position to Tuero Gaucher, but for entirely different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, who would want to fight him now? He's clearly very dangerous. Uh, uh, clearly a, a very difficult foe to figure out. Hits hard, boxes very well. Uh, he's clearly very calm, you know, to get back to your point about how he adapted to a Bray who trying to rough him up and so forth. Um, so, yeah, he's ready to take on the better guys, like, you know, your top 10, top 15 guys now. But does he at this stage yet bring the sort of money and reward to convince those guys to fight him if they don't have to? I guess if there's one question mark in his development, like in terms of a, a kind of fighter I'd like to see him up against, you know, Breadman mentioned somebody who's going to hit him right. uh, hard. Um, the other one is 
you could argue that the last couple of fights, he's looked very good, but he's looked at pretty good against guys who are quite slow. Yeah. Um, he's, he's seen them coming, so he wouldn't mind seeing somebody with maybe faster hands or faster feet. Um, I, I'm going to hate myself a little bit for this. Uh-oh. I think I know what you're going to say then. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, your guy there mentioned Adrian Bronner, and in many ways, he would be a good opponent for him in that he still has a name and a following. God knows why, but he does. Uh. He's got a loud enough mouth that he could make a fight with NSA reasonably sized event, um, which could be, which I think is probably what NS sort of needs at this sure. stage yeah. to leap up a level to put him into that place where those other guys are going to fight him. Um, I don't think that today's Bronner poses any kind of threat, but at the same time, he probably still has enough muscle memory in him that Ennis isn't going to be able to t- relax in the ring. You know, there's still the chance. Bronner still has good one-punch power. He still, you know, has some hand speed. Um, so purely not in terms of the fact that I think it's a really good challenge for him in the ring, but in terms of the fact that this could be what he needs because he also needs to build up his star uh, capacity as, w- as well as his boxing ability. I-, I hate it, but Bronner might be an interesting fight for him. Um, you, for slightly different reasons, somebody like an Amir Khan would be interesting too, because he'd give him a, again, Ennis would win and he'd knock him out, but Amir would give him that different look, you know, he right. would give him those fast hands. He, he would give him something to try to figure out. I don't think Amir is much of a draw on either side of the Atlantic now, but, and, but the other thing is Amir wouldn't do it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he's, he's looking for just a big payout or two and and this wouldn't provide it whereas Bronner you know just might um the only difference is you know Bronner the problem is Bronner would probably demand too much money than there is there uh, to to make this fight happen so failing something like that you know take on opponents who've recently lost to top guys and try to beat them more comprehensively than those tough top guys did somebody like a Sebastian Formella for example um you know who showed himself to be a pretty a pretty strong fellow up against Sean Porter um wouldn't hate somebody like a Jose Cito Lopez, although that feels at this stage like a step backward for Ennis. I think he's almost gone beyond those kind of guys. Yeah. Um, Ugas would be a very good matchup, uh, although I don't know that it would move the needle a great deal for Boots. Um, another thing I, I hate myself for saying, this might be a case of, you know, the alphabet tapeworms putting him into a position where they make him a mandatory for one of their 27 belt holders at the weight. <laughs> Um, uh, and as for Ortiz, yes, I I am assuming as yourself that he means Virgil and not Victor. Right. One day that is the fight that has to happen. But as the Jaiman Honsu character says at the end of Gladiator, not yet. (laughs) Jeez. Thanks for the Gladiator spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, as Eric noted, we had the same pick in that fight. We each got two points. Add it all up. I went from a 28-26 lead coming into the weekend to a 34-33 lead. Now, I don't quite have you where I want you yet, um, <laughs> but there is plenty of opportunity for those scores to change next week. Uh, so those are our thoughts on Saturday night's triple header. Let's hear from a man who is there at Mohegan Sun, calling the fights in Spanish for Showtime. And you also know him from his English language work alongside Barry Tompkins and Steve Farhood on Showbox. He's the former Olympian and world champion, Raul Marquez. Raul, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. Um, I mean, that's a great introduction. That that makes me feel like uh, like when I was playing in my day. So that, I mean, that, that really you really pumped me up, man. <laughs> Being that you know, I just I, I actually I just got home from the trip, you know, and it's like a 
it's like a two and a half hour ride from the Mohegan to Newark airport. And then another almost three hour flight from, you know, from Newark to Houston. So it's a long trip, man. It wears you out. So, uh, your yeah. introduction. There you go. Now you're full of life again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to ask you about, you know, about the whole trip and being at the Mohegan. You know, you've been in that Mohegan Sun bubble a few times now. I'm curious how you're finding it. Are the protocols a lot to deal with? Do you find yourself getting bored, sort of waiting around in your hotel room? Or, or you know, at this point, have you found a way to, you know, make the most of it? Well, I mean, uh, I guess the right answer would be uh, just make the most out of it, you know, because uh, they do send you, before I travel, they send me a home kit uh, test that I do before I leave uh, Houston. And, you know, I send it in and, you know, just, it'll, it'll, you know, it comes in and I'm, and I'm good. So that allows me to travel. But once I get there, I have to quarantine in the room. You know, I can't do, you know, I have to order room service. You just have to be in the room. Um and uh, you wait for the next day when you get tested. And once you get tested, you go, you know, when you go to get tested, you got to go right back to the room again and quarantine. And uh, then you can't do anything until you get the test again. And that usually happens late Friday night, you know, when they send you an email, okay, you're ready to work. And, you know, if you want to get out, but the only thing, if, if you want to get out, it's only to go maybe get, go get food from a restaurant or, you know, I... I guess, I don't know, I'm, I'm not saying I broke the rules, but I, I mean, I, I've been jogging a lot. I've been working out, so I, I go for a run uh, on Friday night. I go for a run, and then Saturday, um, you know, you just, I'm, you're just in a room most of the time. I mean, the, the protocols are pretty strict, and uh, that's the way it goes. You got to follow them, and uh, you get, yeah, you do get bored at times, but I try to exercise in the room, and I even brought a jump rope, and I do sit-ups and push-ups, and, mm. of course, study the, the, you know, the, the fight, the fighters and future fights and look at videos so, and watch TV. Just try to make the best out of it and, and order room service. Right. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we, we had spoken recently to, to Al Bernstein about it and about whether he might like stay over from one fight to the next instead. And he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm flying home. I don't want to stay straight through for that. And, and so you obviously made the same choice to, to be in that isolation for a three or four day stretch isn't so bad, but I suppose to do it for eight, 10 days straight to do two cards is just kind of, kind of too much for you. Yeah, I get you know, I was right. I guess, you know, yeah, it gives you a break. I mean, because at least you're not just locked down in the hotel, you know, for another, you know, for a whole week. You know, you don't want to be tied down to be in the hotel. gets pretty boring. So, um, yeah, there's two days coming back home to my family. Uh, it helped. And then I'm back back over there at the Mojigo in, in, our, in our bubble. Right. As they okay. call Yep. All right. So in the main event this past Saturday, uh, Erickson Lubin won a unanimous decision over Terrell Gachet. Not as entertaining a fight as we hoped for or as we're used to seeing from Lubin. Do you put the blame on Gachet for not pushing Lubin enough? Or did you still see openings for Lubin to to do more than he did and, and to come away with a more impressive victory than the one he got? Well, I mean, to, to be honest with you, with you know, Erickson Lubin, I, I, I actually covered him whenever he uh, turned uh, pro early in his career, you know, when he was a decorated amateur and he was destined to make the Olympic team and all that. And then he signed with, uh, when they had that Mike Tyson uh, promote, you know, was promoting oh, yeah. and, and had the series there. So, I, you know, he's always been a, a, a kid that, that's aggressive. And, you know, I mean, hey, with the, with the nickname of Hammer Time, you know, he's, he's going to be looking for the knockout, you know. Right. And, you know, be looking for the hammer. So 
to a certain extent, I am a little bit disappointed. I feel like I feel like he could have put more pressure and look, you know, try to look for more openness. But then again, it's it's really hard to look good against a guy like uh, Terrell Garcia. I mean, he's a he's a he's a boxer first. He's a tactician. Uh, you know, he's not going to take any risks. Uh, unless, unless he, you know, he hurts you like he did in the tenth round, then you know he's gonna go for it. But he, I mean, the guy was an Olympian; he's got a lot of experience, and uh, it, you know, it, it all goes back to it's very difficult to look good with a guy that 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 is the boxer first, and 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 um, it, it doesn't commit more, doesn't you know, he, he doesn't open up as much. He's, he's he's got he's very clever, and he's got a real tight defense, and uh, it, it's hard to it's hard it's just difficult to figure out a, a guy like Gosh Shane. Right. I mean, this guy went, you know, with Edis Glandelada and Austin Trout. I mean, two lefties that, they're not just lefties. I mean, they're, these guys are awkward. I mean, the most awkward fighters you could think of, talking about Lara and uh, Austin Trout. Uh, and, you know, Gosh is in the same league. And mm-hmm. so um, that's why I feel that, you know, probably Lubin, you know, wasn't able to get him out of there or, or you know, make more of a statement. But, I, you know, I felt that he, you know, he needed to make that statement. But at the end of the day, you know, he got the win, and that's that's the most important thing because now he's going to fight the winner of uh, next uh, this Saturday's, uh, you know, pay per view with Jermel Charlo and uh, Jason Rosario because that's the fight that he wants. Right. Mm-hmm. The better fight was the co-feature Tugnai Ambiar and Kobe Abridi. Uh, were you surprised to see Breedy battle back after getting dropped yes. in each of the first two rounds? Absolutely. When he got dropped uh, early in the fight, and you know, I said, "Oh, that's it. That, that he, he ain't gonna be- get back up." But this, he, you know, he's a little punching machine. He's a warrior. He's game. You know, uh, of course, he doesn't have the experience that uh, in the show that Nambayar has. You know, he he uh, he's got a he's got a big heart. Uh, Brady has a big heart, but you could see his skills are not nowhere near Nambayar. That I mean, Nambayar was an Olympic silver medalist. You know, had a bunch of amateur fights and. And uh, he's been in there with better competition, you know, better opponents and stuff. But uh, Breedy is uh, he's, a, he's game, you know, because of that performance, you know, when he was able to get up and survive and still come back later and maybe win a couple of rounds, uh, that's going to get him, uh, you know, that's going to get him another fight, you know, with a, a name opponent, another opportunity to be on Showtime. Mm. From, what you, from what you're saying, you only feel like he maybe got a few rounds. Don Trella somehow scored the fight for Breedy and had him winning like nine rounds. Uh, yeah. I didn't see your I, scorecard, but you didn't agree with that. I, right? As a matter of fact, you know what? I got my scorecard here. I had it because uh, I figured we would talk about that. You know, I had it 116-110 for uh, Nayam Bayar. Yeah. Uh, how that other judge had it uh, for Breedy, that, I mean, there's no way. And uh, when I was calling the fight with uh, my partner, Alejandro Luna, I kept saying, you know, Nambayar, uh, he can't take any rounds off. I mean, because you just don't know. I mean, we, we got him ahead. Uh, you know, the unofficial scorecard, uh, Mr. Steve Farger has him ahead. But you just don't know what the judges are looking at. I mean, lately we've been seeing a lot of bad, you know, bad decisions. I mean, we, we had him before on, on Showbox and, uh, you know, on Showtime Championship Boxing. And so, you know, my you know my advice at that point was saying, Nambayar, he, he, he needs to... Uh, you know, press on the gas and start because he seems like he took off a, a couple of rounds and he said, yeah. you know, I was like telling Alejandro, he, he better, he better win the next couple of rounds because the, the, the judges could be looking at it different from us. And obviously one just did, but I, <laughs> I don't know how that judge looked at it, you know, for 
Breezy, I don't see how he was winning the fight because, I mean, I think and the umpire won the fight unanimous decision, and, uh, I mean, he was dominating the fight. Yeah. Especially with the knockdowns. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, with with all these strange decisions and strange scorecards, at least, that we've been seeing, the only way to be sure, I guess, is to is to knock your opponent out, and that's uh, something that uh, Boots Ennis did in the opening bout. He didn't leave it up to the judges, and uh, he became the first fighter to score a stoppage win over Juan Carlos Abreu and pretty much everyone I think came away impressed. So we had a uh, Breadman Edwards on the show last week saying he thought boots could go all the way to pound for pound number one and saying even the elite welterweights might be smart to duck this guy. How sold are you Raul on boots Ennis right now? Well, you know, we, we covered boots and it, uh, on Showbox, I believe, a couple of times. And uh, I, I've always, you know, I've always been impressed by him because uh, this, this is a guy that, that has it all. I mean, he's got ring IQ. You know, his movement is incredible. His footwork. I mean, he, he the way he switches from lefty to righty and righty to lefty, like, you don't, you don't see it. You know, you just, it's, it's very hard to figure out. But, you know, when a fighter does all that, you know, his ring IQ and his movement that he has and his speed, but he brings power behind that you know both of his hands he's got power i mean he, he that that's like a, a pretty complete package now him you know being you know whatever you said the bread man said you know being the lead and being uh that's that's a little bit saying too much you know does he have a a, a future does that did he really you know show that he's got the talent yeah he went in there and he did what he was supposed to do with a veteran like a a breu that had never been stopped. He'd been, he'd been uh, knocked down a couple of times, but he had never been stopped, and he totally dominated him. So, you know, yes, he was the star of the show because of the way he, you know, he made a statement he, that he needed to do that because there's a lot of hype behind uh, uh, Ennis, and uh, he backed it up. He backed it up, but, uh, you know, the fights are, it's only going to get, he's, he's going to get better, and he's going to keep learning. I mean, this kid's been in the gym since he's five. You guys saw the story, and he's been in the gym since he's a baby, you know, five right. years old. His brother box and all that. Uh, does he have the, the 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 skills and the time to get better? Yeah, but guess what? The opponents are going to get better too. You know, they're going to start matching him up. I think now, you know, he after he's ready for a top ten guy, top five guy, or maybe an eliminator fight against one of the champions. Uh, but you know, uh, once you get to a level like where he's at, or even better, uh, things change. It's not the same, you know. But um, can he can he get there? Yeah, because he's still young. He's still learning. He's hungry. You know, his worth ethic, he's always in the gym, he works hard, and, uh, you know, time's going to tell, but right now he's on his way because, you know, he, and, and, and that fight, he, like I said, he did what he was supposed to do, and he took care of business, got that guy out of there, someone that nobody had ever done that, right even now. though it's a veteran, and we know he wasn't, he, the veteran guy was brought in to give him rounds, he gave him more rounds, and he was trying, but, you know, uh, Boots, uh, it, you know, his skills are just uh, incredible. And, and it's hard to fight a guy like him, too, because uh, he, he's moving, he, you know, he just moves from different angles. And when he switches righty, lefty, lefty, righty, it's it's very hard to catch a guy like that. And uh, he's got good defense, uh, never gets really hit solid. And um, I will, I'm, I'm very impressed. I, I've, I've been impressed by him ever since I covered him on Showbox. Because I, at one time I named him one of the prospects that later on we're going to see uh, probably become world champion. And, and I, I think he's on his way right. to doing that. Um, talking about Showbox, last last thing for, for today. Uh, we had some Showbox news uh, just break this weekend. Um, there will be a four-fight Showbox card 
again from the Mohegan Sun on October 7th, which is a Wednesday, which is unusual. Uh, main event will be Charles Conwell, 12-0, against Wendy Toussaint, also 12-0, in a super welterweight 10-rounder. Uh, I know you've seen Conwell on Showbox before. Um, yeah. Are you looking forward to being, uh, being back there for a rare Wednesday broadcast? Well, I'm looking forward to being back on, on, on camera, on, on Showbox, so I can show my, my uh, broadcasting skills, you know, and, but I'm not looking forward to uh, being there for a whole week. I'm going to have to be there a whole week. You know, <laughs> yeah. Quarantine or locked up in the room and all that because I have to get there on a Monday and then we test on Tuesday and then we work on Wednesday and I believe we test again because I'll be there for the, the, the World Championship uh, Lipinets, Sergey Lipinets uh, right. uh, fights on that Saturday. So I'll be there a whole week. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, we're excited. Uh, me, Barry, and Steve, uh, we're, we're excited to be back on, on Showbox because, you know, we always have uh, great fights on Showbox. Uh, you know, undefeated guys get upset or sometimes the B-side fighter will get beat the A-side fighter. And you got, you know, stars Olympians like Charles Conwell that, you know, he he wants to make it to the to the big shows. He wants to make it to the Showtime Championship Boxing uh, shows. And, uh, it, you know, it's, a, it's an exciting series, and I'm, I'm always happy to work. With uh, you know, you can't go wrong with Hall of Famers like Barry Thompson, Steve yep. Farhood. Can't go wrong, guys. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's always nice. There's something comforting about you guys with Showbox. It's just you guys are nice and relaxed. It's kind, of, it's just kind of like watching a fight with friends somehow. You know, it's just <laughs> nice and easy. I, I like the way you guys do it. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you see it that way. I mean, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm uh, fortunate that that I'm able to work with. Uh, guys like like steve and barry that you know have really taught me a lot in the broadcasting business and uh i enjoy i really enjoy uh, working uh i think we're a great team and uh we we work really good together on top of you know the rest of the people people on the show box we're a good family you know rich gone uh gordon hall uh, you know rick phillips everybody uh that's a part of it um you know we we help each other in all kinds of ways and we we just try to do, bring the base show to the audience that's our job all right. Well, thank you very much, Raul. It's great to talk to you. And we're not done with you for this week. We will talk to you again tomorrow uh, as we start to preview Saturday's pay-per-view. So until then, thanks very much. Talk to you again soon. Thank you. All right. In addition to Saturday's Showtime triple header, there was one other fight card of note on Saturday on ESPN+. Plus. The main event was no more exciting than Lubin Gachet as junior welterweight Jose Sniper Pedraza jabbed his way to a one-sided 10-round unanimous decision win over former U.S. Olympian Javier Molina, Pedraza getting back on track with his second win this year in the MGM Grand Bubble. The co-feature didn't offer many thrills either, unbeaten heavyweight F.A. Ajagba seemingly taking some backward steps in his top-ranked debut as he struggled to a wide 10-round decision over unheralded Johnny Rice. Anything to comment on here, Kieran, or are we good to just mention the results and move on? Growing a little concerned by the apparent regression in FA Ajagba that you mm-hmm. sort of alluded to there. I mean, I feel like a year or so ago, it felt like he was the up-and-coming heavyweight prospect, or at least one of that group. Um, but he's fallen far, far, far behind the likes of uh, Daniel Dubois. Um also worth noting, terrific knockout on the undercard. Uh, young lightweight Brian Lua moving to 6-0 and with three KOs. Lovely left hook knockout in the yeah. second round of uh, Luis Norambuena. Um, as noted, 
we will be devoting full podcasts to previewing the Showtime pay-per-view. Uh, there are a couple of other fight cards coming up earlier uh, in the day on Saturday. Not conflicting with the pay-per-view, um, but turning it into just a massive day of televised and streaming boxing on ESPN+. Plus. Just Taylor considered by most to be the number one junior welterweight in the world, meets Appenon Kongsong in London and in Munich, Germany on DAZN. It is the final of the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Tournament. You nailed Dortikos against Maurice Bredas. Uh, Eric, which way are you leaning on that Cruiserweight final and any sense on whether Kongsong is a threat to Taylor? I'm not expecting too much from Kong Song. A lot of Thai fighters turn out to be extremely tough. Uh, that that might be the case here, that he won't wilt easily. But he hasn't faced anybody in, I don't know, the top 100 at junior mm-hmm. welterweight. I mean, nobody. His opponents are, are club fighters. The last one had a record of 9 and 11. So he figures not to be a threat to Taylor who has the best resume at 140 pounds. Somehow ESPN.com ranks Jose Ramirez ahead of him. That looks to me like some top rank bias on display in the post-Dan mm. Rafael era. Clearly, Taylor is the guy to beat at 140 right now. So anyway, that fight, Taylor, Kong Song, I can take it or leave it. But Dortikos Bredas, I'm legit pumped for that. Dortikos got here with a spectacular KO of Andrew Tabidi. Bredas had that dominant but controversial foul-filled win over Christoph Glavatsky. It's really hard to pick a favorite here, but I think I lean Bredas. Uh, so we talked last week about the uncertain future at DAZN, uh, but they do have that Dortico's Bredas fight. And Dan Rayfield broke some news for Boxing Scene last week about several other fall cards they have in the works. Uh, nothing is signed or announced yet, but potentially on the table are a late October card headlined by a rematch between Juan Francisco Estrada and Carlos Cuadras with Chocolatito Gonzalez in the co-feature. Uh, a November 7th card headlined by undefeated lightweight Devin Haney, possibly against either Yuriorkis Gamboa or Gary Russell Jr., according to Dan. And a Thanksgiving weekend card headlined by Daniel Jacobs. And Dan notes that Demetrius Andrade could appear on one of those November undercards. We probably don't need to spend too much time on any of these until something is official, but anything that particularly intrigues you there, Kieran? Uh, it will be good to see Devin Haney again, but I hope it isn't against Gary Russell Jr. for a couple of reasons. Um, that would mean that Mr. Gary Russell Jr. is no longer on Showtime. Right. Uh, and I don't want to see him at 135. From what he said to us, he doesn't even walk around at 135, does right. he? He'll have to like put rocks in his pockets to even make it there. So, you know, Gamboa might not be much bigger, but he's more solid and he's at least been campaigning uh, uh, that division for a while. Um, but obviously, out of those you mentioned, the main attraction uh, is that Mexico card. Uh, I was ringside for the first Estrada Quadras fight. It was a is a great scrap. Uh, happy to see that again. And I'm keen to see, uh, as I'm sure you, whether the apparent Chocolatito revival is a real thing or whether he just caught lightning in a bottle against uh, Cal Yafai. Right. Uh, speaking of the zone, uh, last month in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the zone, Cecilia Brekus suffered the first defeat of her career, a close decision uh, defeat to Jessica McCaskill. Uh, Brekus more than hinted, I think it's safe to say, at possible retirement after the fight. I think as we noted, and as anybody who's been around boxing knows, uh, do not take retirement <laughs> announcements in the immediate aftermath of defeat terribly seriously uh she isn't following through on that hint just yet she's she has activated the rematch clause that was in that contract uh no date yet but it does seem that we will be seeing mccaskill Brekus to uh are you looking forward to that or were you hoping our friend cecilia would call it a day yes and yes 
Can I give yeah, that answer? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, a fair. part of me was hoping she would take her one loss that wasn't overly physically punishing and say, you know, I've lost a half step. Now's a good time to stop boxing. Uh, but she's certainly still very good. I'm not sure she even lost that first fight. I think if she retired off that loss, the not knowing would be tough. And I would hate to see her decide to scratch that itch two or three years from now. Uh, better to do it now, find out, you know, can I beat Ms. McCaskill, try to get revenge, and if it goes badly, then you know. So I am looking forward to this rematch. It was a good fight the first time. Sign me up. Definitely an intriguing rematch. And let's end with some European heavyweight news. A date has been announced for Alexander Povetkin, Dillian White 2. They're looking at November 21st, venue to be determined, and Eddie Hearn is hoping to stage the fight in front of a limited crowd. And speaking of hoping to be able to fight in front of some fans, Daniel Dubois versus Joe Joyce, originally planned for late October, is being pushed back to sometime in November, according to Frank Warren, to increase the likelihood of being able to fight in front of an audience. I gave my thoughts last week on the idea of Fury Wilder 3 in front of socially distanced paying customers. Kieran, do you expect we'll see fans at these heavyweight fights? And from your perspective, is it worth pushing dates back a little if it gets fans in there? So I don't know if we will see fans at these fights or not. The UK is going through a bit of a weird phase uh, right now with coronavirus, as it, along with much of Europe, appears to be girding for a second wave. Um, so in Britain, the situation is a bit confusing. On the one hand, I think it's I think you're not supposed to be with more than six people in a gathering yet. At the same time, some lower tier soccer teams are being given the go ahead to have like 1000 spectators on the ground um, and somewhat related to what you were talking about with Wilder Fury. Some soccer team executives have said they think it's actually probably safer for people to be socially distanced in their stadiums than it is, you know, to be grouped together at home or whatever. Um so that might be a difficult. Um, is it worth pushing things back? I, I think I think on balance it is. Uh, fights are better. I mean, it's been good to have fights back. We've right. gotten used to seeing them without crowds. I'm missing crowds. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just different. Um, I, I know that boxing careers are sure. I'm not the one whose future's at stake. It seems to me that waiting a few months in many cases until crowds are available is, is worth it. I mean, Fury Wilder has to be in front of a crowd, not only because of the money that it brings, but that fight has to be in front of a crowd. Uh, it's it's just, just the nature of the fight. As we've seen, Povetkin White doesn't need to be in front of a crowd, um, but it'd be much better with them. Uh, and similarly with Dubois Joyce, uh, the interesting challenge for me, I, I don't know if arenas have been mentioned, but, you know, like you said, the, by November, the hope is in the UK that they will be possible. But it's one thing being outside at night in November in Las Vegas. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a different deal in England. So I don't know if they're looking to do that outside anywhere or um, or if they're going to be indoors presumably them with a really quite small crowd i don't know I, I don't know what the situation there is but um yeah i agree that whenever possible if it does look like it's going to be possible and to do safely it's worth waiting to have the fans in there but some fights more than others and we'll just have to you know the the level of risk is changing all the time yeah and that's an interesting tricky balancing act that you point out that as you push things back in the hopes that there will be more allowance and understanding of, of how to bring a crowd uh, to a venue. 
you get into whether we're doing so outside becomes right. less and less ideal, like you said, unless you're in Vegas. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting that they're trying to figure out these dates and, and how to do them. I hope these fights happen if they have to push them back a few weeks and that helps everyone make some more money. OK, cool. Go for it. I hope they don't keep pushing them back and back and back waiting right. until they can have a crowd. Yeah. All right. That will do it for another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. As noted at the top of the show, we will be back not one, not two, but three times this week uh, with Raul Marquez joining us for both part one and part two of our pay-per-view previews. Uh, Part one should be dropping on Tuesday. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.